Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. On this uh, Monday morning, calls to defund and even abolish the police uh, continue, not only in places like Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis, uh, but in places like Atlanta, Georgia. And so uh, you are going to hear and see language about living in a no-cop culture. Now, let me just pause there for a moment and um, just say that short of Jesus returning and the kingdom of heaven being fully instituted here upon the earth— we can't live in a no-cop no cop culture. I mean, you, you can choose to not call them cops or choose to not call them the police, call them something else. But um, to suggest that we could live in an environment where there is no one enforcing the law and there is no one needed to protect uh, innocent individuals or vulnerable people from other people who would seek to do them harm is simply to deny the reality um, of human depravity. And to deny, even if you're a Darwinist, let's just go this direction. If you're a Darwinist, then you are a survival of the fittest uh, advocate, in which case um, you live in a kill-or-be-killed culture. I mean, that's actually your ethos. That's actually your worldview um, for, for those who believe we live in, a, live in a godless reality. So if you are a person who understands that God is and that human beings, although created in his image, have uh, fallen from uh, the kind of relationship with God that creates within us the capacity to live at peace with one another because we live at peace with ourselves and peace with God. Um, If you understand that, then you understand that we can't live uh, together peaceably short of Christ reigning and ruling, not only in our hearts and minds, but in our relationships. So these calls for a no-cop culture or or cop-free cities or whatever is to suggest that human beings have the capacity for sufficient self-restraint, that we would never again do any form of harm to one another or to ourselves. It also suggests that we know how to appropriately intervene when other people are acting in ways that would bring harm to themselves or to others if they were allowed to continue. So... Uh, When people talk about community policing, what they're talking about is being active, you know, neighbor to neighbor, that we would provide adequate social restraint um, in in relationship to one another, that we would be able to function without without outside agents of law enforcement. Now, uh, that's not the world we live in. It sounds like heaven because that is exactly what it would be, where the, the law of God would be reigning in every human heart and uh, and be sovereign uh, in our relation, uh, not only over us as individuals, but over our relationships with one another. Let us be mindful that God is a God of justice, Deuteronomy 32, that God instructs his people to pursue justice, Deuteronomy 16, um, Psalm 82, 3 and 4, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked, 
All of that is a reminder that there are those who are weak and fatherless and afflicted and destitute and weak and needy and who need deliverance from the hand of the wicked, and it's the responsibility of God's people. Um, it's not... It's it's not something that is just going to happen if we are left to our own devices in um, in quote unquote community with one another. Romans thirteen is important in this conversation. I would lift that up to you as well. I thought it would be helpful to talk with a member of law enforcement about the days in which we are now living together. So up next, my conversation with Patrick Oliver, a veteran cop. He has served for decades in both the police and state patrol in Ohio. He now teaches criminal justice at Cedarville University. That conversation up next. So welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm delighted to have Dr. Patrick Oliver with us today. He served for 27 years in law enforcement prior to his current role as the director of the criminal justice program at Cedarville University. Dr. Oliver, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you for having me today. So you have served over um, kind of a range of uh, law enforcement positions um, maybe you could help us understand uh, sort of the different types of police officers. We use that term um, to cover uh, a lot of different um, a lot of different experiences. So, can you just help us frame the conversation we're having in the culture today? And is it about a very specific kind of police officer versus law enforcement in general? Law enforcement is a diverse field, and so you have law enforcement officers working in park policing. You have them working at sheriff's office, rural law enforcement agencies, big cities. You have transit police officers. But uh, the focus today in our society is mainly on municipal law enforcement officers, those who work in a city, uh, particularly the major jurisdictions. And so when we hear these calls to defund the police, we are, in most cases, talking about municipal um, police departments what would what would just happen um, if, let's say, a city defunded its, which we're going to talk about whether or not that's really what this conversation is about in a moment. But if a city did, in fact, defund its police force, who would then be responsible um, to enforce the law in that community? Well, let me say these things uh, first. Policing is an important, valuable and essential public service. At some level, law enforcement officers are needed. Defunding the police is about making major police reform, and this is a local government issue. The call to defund the police is a demand for a systemic change in how policing is done, you know, and there's a great commitment and passion in certain cities to do this. Uh, This notion for defunding of police really has a desire for a softer image of policing, and ideally with a full community partnership. Uh, I think that in most cases, if and when and where defunding of policing occurs, it'll be a partial, not total defunding of police. And this partial defunding of police, they will use some social service options on certain calls for service, such as mental health professionals and social workers. So the total defunding of police is probably not a legitimate and effective option you're more likely to see a partial defunding. 
but total defunding has been discussed. So you raise a really critical um, point in um, in that, and that is the need for social services in many, many cases, mental health assistance. Like the times in which we call the police are not confined to challenges that we are facing related to somebody actually breaking a law. Um, oftentimes there is a person um, who is behaving in a way that is distressing to others. And the only the, the only avenue we currently have is to call the police. Um, police have become responsible for a w- really wide range of responsibilities, not just law enforcement. Would that be accurate? That is accurate. Eighty percent of the calls for service to law enforcement agencies are not enforcement situations. Twenty percent or less involve the making of an arrest or issuance of a citation. I just think about the times in my own uh, life in recent years when, you know, I have needed, I have felt the need, right, to uh, to find a a person who I could trust, who would help me in um, in a situation. And I, they would be described in exactly the ways that you have just described them. Um, and we do call the police when we need help, but not everybody in the culture um, sees the police in that same way. And it seems to me, Dr. Oliver, that that is really what we're facing. My my inclination to pick up the phone and call the police when I need help, genuine help, emergency help, whether or not it's related to, you know, a law that has been broken, um, is different. Like, I feel good about doing that. Other people do not feel good about doing that. That is correct. There are some quarters of some communities where, they see the police as foe and not as friend, where in other quarters, they see the police as friend. So um, I am talking with Dr. Patrick Oliver. He serves now as the director of the criminal justice program at Cedarville University, but he has a really wide-ranging experience in law enforcement. His career includes serving as the chief of police in cities such as uh, Fairborn, Grandview Heights, and Cleveland, Ohio, He's also served as a ranger chief of the Cleveland Metropolitan Parks. He served 11 years as a trooper with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. Um, he's a professor now and um, uh, and searches in a, uh, serves in advisory capacities for um, associations of chiefs of police, both here in the U.S. and around the world. Um, Dr. Oliver, when you look at what's happening across the country right now, um, and and maybe just how do you how would you hope that both police um, uh, agencies and local governments how, that you would hope we would respond? What would you hope would be on the table right now? Well, I think a key factor in the problems we're seeing in law enforcement is a byproduct of hiring. Uh, I've said this many times, but law enforcement agencies hire their problems. And so hiring is the single most important factor in the quality of the effectiveness of a law enforcement agency. So the quality of the agency is reduced down to the quality of the people. Uh, I think we get some guidance from Scripture. In Exodus 18, verses 20 to 26, Moses says, uh, father-in-law Jethro gives him some advice on how to govern the Israelites. He tells them to teach them statutes of God's laws, show them the way they must walk and what they must do 
select from all the people, able men that fear God, men of the truth, hating covetousness. In other words, they don't have a wrong or excessive desire for wealth, possessions, or greed. And then place them to be rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And, you know, judge the people at all times. That's a real good guideline for hiring law enforcement officers. And the righteousness of a nation or the governing people of a nation impacts that nation. All right. I love that you've turned, uh, redirected us to scripture. I really I genuinely appreciate that. We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Patrick Oliver in just a moment. We'll be right back. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Rejoining the conversation now with Dr. Patrick Oliver, director of the criminal justice program at Cedarville University, four-time police chief. Uh, he's also served in uh, in other law enforcement uh, positions as well. Dr. Oliver, um, maybe we just continue to invite you to open the scriptures to us in terms of the conversations that we're having. Um, it's not as if we're ever going to, in this life, arrive at arrive at a place where we don't need someone um, to help us enforce the law. Uh, and and that's because we have a biblical worldview and sort of know the reality of human lawlessness. So uh, I'd just love for you just to frame the need for law enforcement from a biblical worldview, um, and, then, and then we can go from there. Yes. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, talks about the role of government. The companion verse to that is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The purpose of government is to reward good and punish evil. In Romans chapter 13, it says that government does not bear the sword in vain. And so government is God-ordained. God has ordained three institutions, the institution of marriage, the church, the body of Christ's followers, and then government. Government is God's minister of justice in this life. He will judge individuals in the next life. So we are required to have government because man is inherently sinful. We know that from Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Every man and woman has a sin problem. And the answer to their sin problem is the need for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus is the answer. Without that, individuals lose their way. Individuals and organizations lose their way. Governments lose their way. So Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Dr. Oliver, I'm taking notes. I know our listeners are taking notes right now. Um, I know there are people thinking to themselves right now, um, why why is he not leading this conversation nationally? Like that would be really, really helpful for these conversations to be framed um, in this way on a national level. Uh, we It does feel like in many ways we've lost our way. And we've lost our way in in local communities, and um, and and then we certainly see sort of expressions of that um, on the national scene. 
um, Seattle. Let's let's talk about it in a uh, in a big picture um, conversation uh, as opposed to the specifics. But in Seattle, we have a city where the government officials have abandoned a particular neighborhood to rioting protesters who now control entry and egress to this so-called autonomous zone where um, uh, vigilante armed guards are standing at roadblocks. People are being required to pay um, these other individuals uh, in order to be able to go in and out um, and and operate their businesses and and go in and out of their homes. Um, And the the mayor of, of Seattle and the governor of of the state of Washington seem to now be very much at odds with the chief of police. The chief of police is is greatly distressed at uh, at the fact that calls calls to the police from this sector are now going unanswered um, because she's not allowed to uh, send her officers in. Um, that's not how it's supposed to work in the United States of America. You have framed that uh, correctly. Once again, there's a call for government. You need government because man is inherently sinful. Therefore, people need to be held accountable for their actions, and there need to be righteous people in government who respond to crime. You know, people need to be punished for what they do. I teach in a field called criminal justice. It's called that because criminals should be brought to justice and get their just desserts. The punishment should be fitting of the crime. So law enforcement is needed there. When we talk about what the definition of criminal and what is criminal, in certainly different times, different places, even around the world today, um, some things are against the law in some places that are not unlawful in other places. Um, when you think about the way we as a, as a country have thought about what is criminal and what is criminal now, um, how do we arrive at, how do we arrive at our um, collective understanding of those uh, of what is lawful and what's unlawful. Today, we've gotten away from our biblical foundation as a country. The United States of America was founded and based on Judeo-Christian principles. So all law, criminal law and civil law, is based on the law, the law given to Moses. At one time in this country, they used to teach that in law school. And so as you get away from God's law, then things become dysfunctional. And that's the problem. We've gotten away from God's law. If you lose God, then you lose man. And we have lost God in our society. That's a, um, that's a sobering assessment of where we find ourselves today um, as a nation. Dr. Patrick Oliver, I want to give you the last word in this conversation Um, Anything you want to say to our listeners today, maybe as a word of encouragement as they engage in their local communities uh, in in conversations related to policing and related to uh, the support of the police in their own communities? Well, I'll start with a verse, Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. There's a lot of groaning going on right now. Christians need to be involved with government. Government is ordained by God and is really for righteous, godly people. Christians need to vote. Christians need to pray for our leaders. Christians need to seek godly men and women to serve in government. 
Christians need to um, study their Bible and Christians need to evangelize everyone. Because once again, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Everyone needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the answer to the troubles we face. Dr. Patrick Oliver, thank you so much for what you do each and every day there at Cedarville University. And thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right, friends. um, Next up, I've got Adam Carrington. He and I are going to talk about what's going on a little further in Seattle, which apparently is no longer Chaz, but now CHOP. We're going to talk about that. It looks like uh, more of an occupied protest or occupied movement strategy. Um, We're also going to talk about uh, the removal of statues um, or the desecration. I'm using desecration. I don't know. Vandalism. I don't even know what words I'm supposed to be using. I'm going to talk with him about that. What's going on with the uh, statuary. Uh, across the country. And if we've got time, we're going to get into the whole flap at the New York Times over an op-ed by Senator Cotton. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Your teen's life may be filled with activities, but is he missing out on valuable time with mom and dad? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We push our teams to work hard at piano lessons, soccer practice, church events, and whatever else we cram into their 24-hour day. But rarely do we create time to simply sit down and have a real conversation. This week, try making a pie chart of your time with your team. Is most of your time spent shuttling them from activity to activity or speed chatting at the dinner table? The fact is, kids these days are overcommitted and undernurtured. So if your team feels constantly tired and worn out, It's time to intervene. Slow down, back off, and make your home a healthy place for restoring the soul. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Carrington, Assistant Professor of Politics at Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be here. Hope you're all doing well. <laughs> so um, on that note, just ask for, uh, I'll just share this with our listeners now since you um, since you started that way, which I appreciate. Um, my uh, 86-year-old uh, stepdad has tested positive for the coronavirus. So I'm actually leaving today after the show to go care for them for a couple of weeks. Um I had a test on Saturday. I'm negative for the virus, so I'm the most eligible candidate to go and uh, and take care of my parents. My mom had uh, a heart attack on Memorial Day and open heart surgery two days later, so she is, like, super susceptible. And so they're currently, like, you know, divided in the house. So when you say, you know, th- thank you for prayers that we all be well, and so I just ask for prayers for a restoration of health and um, no further complications and and you know that the technology of transporting all the radio equipment uh, to their house would work as well. <laughs> well, there you we'll, go. We'll be, we'll be praying for you out here in Michigan too. I've had a few friends with similar situations, and 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 uh, that's that's very good of you to be faithful and and taking care of family. Oh, precious, precious people. Feel feel blessed to have them. Okay, Adam, let's talk about what's going on in Seattle. Um, so, what was known as Ca- the Capitol Hill neighborhood 
then became known for a period of time as CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, and is apparently now um, the preferential uh, lingo is CHOP, the Capitol Hill either occupied or organized protest, but I think there's a debate about whether or not it is occupied or organized. And so they claim they're not seceding. Can you just talk talk with us about what's going on there? Right. And of course, this all comes out of the, the as you said, the protests related to uh, the killing of George Floyd and 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 the the out the outworkings of that and the and the attempt to try to do something about the the injustice that was done there, but also uh, greater claims about how far we should take in reassessing our society. But what it sort of turned into, and it it gets a bit murky, uh, because as you're seeing with the changes in names, uh, some of this is an attempt to define what's going on uh, rather than just describe. Um, Mm. But what seems to have happened, and especially that first definition, Chaz was really arguing, is that to some degree, at least temporarily, uh, they were trying to set up their own um, independent uh, political society. Uh, But I would say, you know, a little bit closer to what political theorists talk about as the state of nature, meaning uh, a kind of society without any clear organized government, without any clear organized structure. Now, of course, they were trying to place that, rebuild and put that in. But in many ways, it, 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 it at first sort of to outside observers look like, um, you know, society trying to be reconstituted in the show The Walking Dead, you know, after society had been kind of uh, obliterated. What do you do when you rebuild? Uh, but I think what it showed, some of the things that were happening in there, is um, that in many ways it was formed as a reaction to what we're seen as uh, oppression from government. Um, but what I think quickly they'll find and have found is that without government that was instituted ultimately by God, um, you have oppression and uh, a disarray of a different kind. It's kind of goes back to Federalist 51, where James Madison said, if men were angels, there'd be no need for government. So having an autonomous zone without a clearly organized structure or one that doesn't recognize human fallibility is going to be a mistake. At the same time, he says, if angels were to govern men, we wouldn't need restraints on government. We wouldn't need to hold government to account for being just. And I think uh, this is, in my opinion, far from the wisest way of articulating this, but this is showing the difficulty of the fact that fallible human beings form government and therefore uh, 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 use it for oppression. Yet we need government because without that organizing structure of society, we don't have a way to protect the vulnerable either. Okay, I think we should. Um, you should write like a a modern day Federalist Fifty One, and and somewhere in there, sew in, weave in the the fallen angel part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I even the that... angels can't govern themselves, right? I mean, you know, that self governance only works for people that are godly. Because the idea we we often mistake self government for we get to vote for people that do what we want. In other words, that our will becomes law. And if you really look at the people who have been uh, thoughtful about this, and if you look at, I think, the Bible, the idea is self-govern- that kind of self-government only can be the result, not the cause, 
and the res- and the cause has to be a, vir- a kind of virtuous self-government, being able mm-hmm. to restrain and pursue what is good, what is true, what is just, uh, what Philippians says in chapter 4, what is excellent. Uh, th- th- those are the things that should be thought on and pursued. And if you can't have that kind of self-control of yourself, uh, then you really have no business or no ability to um, uh, govern in the way it, people often construe self-government as. Self-government starts not even in the home, it starts in the heart. Mm, amen. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, and so I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation. I have no idea how they're going to uh, restore order in that part of the city of Seattle, particularly for those people who own property there and uh, and live and work in that six-block square area who are now being prevented from doing such. Um, Let's pivot and and have a conversation about um, statues. So this is also related to um, hmm, the reaction, response, uprising. it's it's more than a protest at this point. It's uh, and it's more it's more than just a wave or a wake. It's like the front edge of a uh, of a tsunami, maybe um, uh, in the in the wake of the George Floyd murder. So t- talk with us about Confederate statues. Talk with us about the, the real issues behind what's going on here. Right. And so there and and this wave came after Charlottesville as well. But this wave seems closer, as you said, to a, a tsunami that um, uh, about the whether we should have on public display, especially on public property, um, statues commemorating uh, Confederate soldiers, Confederate generals, uh, con- the Confederate cause from the Civil War. And um I think that uh, on one hand, I'll I'll give a a criticism of that movement um, where I think that uh, some of the reasons given um, in some ways throw out the baby with the bathwater, that they uh, try to uh, 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 basically discredit all of American history, all of America. Um, They try to undermine, I think, uh, uh, the the, the, the hard-fought uh, progress and good toward uh, racial and ethnic justice, toward just justice and equality in general that is abnormal in human history, but we have striven, I think, so hard to get in, this, in the United States or to move toward that we sometimes take for granted how hard it is. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think what's underneath this that's, I think, a bit more of a critic, uh, you know, uh, 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 saying that they've got a point is you, really this is in some ways asking uh, what are we commemorating with these statues? Um, and and I think the question you have to ask there is, again, really, what was the Civil War about, which I know is a very contentious topic. I was in a Civil War reenactment group. I remember having these arguments. Um, but uh, ultimately, I do think if you look at it, that while there were many noble men uh, that fought for the Confederacy, many good Christian men, uh, that not all were fighting about for the same exact causes, I think the idea of um, uh, secession and slavery ultimately were the driving force for uh, so many and so much of it that we really have to ask, is there a way to honor um, uh, certain aspects of that time and era, but do we need to actually have statues that commemorate um, 
basically a, a system idea and other things that uh, we've rejected important aspects of. Uh, and I think uh, it, it's weird to have um, uh, uh, statues also to uh, a group of people that basically tried to leave the United States of America. So I think that, that that there's some legitimacy to these criticisms, even though I think often when the people making them are not making them in in, in, in the right spirit or the right way. This is a conversation that we're going to um, we're going to have over and over and over again. Um, for those of you who um, are, are are tempted to become enraged that we're even talking about this, let me encourage you to uh, to actually go and read some of the declarations by the southern states when they um, declared themselves uh, as seceding from the Union. Um, And particularly if you want one that's really illuminating um, uh, on this topic and issue, read the one from the state of Mississippi uh, in 1961 or 1861. Um, So I I do think that we need to read, if we're going to be originalists and we're going to talk about original documents, we need to actually talk about um, not our uh, visions and versions of history, but what the people at the time were actually saying about themselves and why they were seeking to secede from the Union. And for at least the state of Mississippi, it was all about slavery. Uh, it's yeah, I, 100 percent. They make it they I, make I, it absolutely abundantly clear. I can say that if you look at Texas, if you look at Georgia, if you look at South Carolina, I've taught those documents. They they all do as well. And by the way, that that doesn't mean that the North was pure and sinful and sinless no. and good. Uh, look at Lincoln's second inaugural, where he says, uh, "We all are at fault for the issue of slavery to various ways and in various extents." That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean, as some are wanting to say, that we have to completely. Uh, uh, call the South, you know, some devilish place uh, at all. Uh, uh, There are so many virtues to the people I know from 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 the South. But uh, again, yeah. And and I think another thing to take into account is when did these statues come into being? Uh, They did not come into being many of them in the 19 or the 1870s or, or, you know, right after the Civil War. Many of them came either during the Jim Crow era or during the Civil Rights era in the mid 1900s. Um, and when a statue comes into being may say something about what was intended about it as well, uh, that maybe commemoration of the valor of these men wasn't first and foremost on on everyone's mind as well. So I, I think this is, you know, it, part of this is, is the discussion of, of how do we honor our past with, while being honest about our past? And that is a very tough line to hew. Mm. That's really good. That's really good language. All right. Adam Carrington and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. He's an assistant professor of politics at Hillsdale College. He tweets at Car- Carrington AM. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Shying away from nothing today. Uh, let's take on the New York Times Senator Cotton op-ed flap. So for those who have maybe missed this in the news cycle, Senator Cotton wrote an op-ed. It was platformed by the New York Times um, and then deplatformed and then an editor resigned. What is going on? (laughs) Uh, And so the op-ed, I should say, was about uh, the Senator Cotton thought it was legitimate to send in military force 
uh, not just police force to quell the riots and the rioters. And by the way, I think on on the on the actual law, I think he was right. The president has the power, along with others. I think as far as whether that was the correct use of that law, I think uh, it wasn't wise. Uh, but that that that's a side note. Um, what this really gets down to is. Uh, a, a discussion about um, whether we, uh, whether uh, our, our newspapers and other forums for discussion can remain that. Can they remain forums for re free and open discussion among people making reasonable, if, even if very different, arguments? And uh, there was a segment of the New York Times op-ed pages that does believe that generally. They admit that they're a pretty left-leaning paper at this point, but they're willing to, to, to publish contrary views and then allow the debate to continue. Whereas uh, another strand of the New York Times, which is, is in some ways mirrors competing strands of, of the political left, say, no, um, we need to be about uh, 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 truth and justice and we should not give um, and, and instead of getting there by discussion, we know what it is and we need to not uh, facilitate discussion, even contrary opinions that may push in a different direction. And uh, really, it's become a huge mess for The New York Times, deservedly so, and really uh, harmed the reputation and other things have as well, where they have tried to be uh, kind of the, the, the America's paper of record and a place that really can uphold those values of, of free and open discussion. And I think it's part of a larger discussion within America, within the political left and even the political right of to what uh, to what degree, if we think we're right, must we force that on others? And to what degree can we allow platforms for differing discussions and views to go on? So it's been a, a huge flap for them with a lot of fallout. And where would you come down on this? I, I am. Let me just say this. I am of the opinion that more conversation with every viewpoint uh, is is better. I'm I am definitely a open marketplace of ideas kind of person, and and the best idea wins. Yeah, I I, I agree on, on that. This should have been published. Uh, a lot of the, the one thing that hurt the New York Times is they tried to make up excuses that really didn't hold water, that it wasn't rigorously fact checked enough. That turned out to be not true, and other things. Um, that uh, I, I am fully on the side of uh, within, except for maybe the most extreme bounds. Um, Platforms like the New York Times should be very open to reasonably articulated different views, even if those views are very far from others. And it goes back to, I think, how, how human beings operate. Uh, I, I think um, this, there's a connection here to the protests. Um, a lot of the protesters, uh, the argument, I think, um, uh, is that they have not felt heard that they have not felt like they've had uh, enough of a platform, at least among certain segments of, of the country, to, 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 be, to have their voices be listened to and to try to convince, even if they don't convince. Whereas, um, and I think what happens is when you don't feel heard, you often react in violent or other ways. And I don't think that should hold, you know, uh, you know should force people to, to listen if they don't want to. At the same time, I think it should encourage them to. That when we can't speak, 
we often resort to other ways of making ourselves heard. So let's facilitate as much as we can hearing each other, not because we then have to accept what the other says, not because we then have to force ourselves on the other person, but because that's the peaceful human and humane way of, of, of trying to live together is to speak rather than force. So if you haven't um, started watching the Emmanuel Acho Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, I really um, I'm I'm encouraging everyone who's white to do so. Um, and in the latest one, he uh, he's in a conversation with uh, Matthew McConaughey, who's sort of like, you know, the representative white person with whom he is talking. And um, uh, I, I Matthew McConaughey responds on several occasions to what Emmanuel Acho says. He simply responds with one word and the word is heard. Because I think there are times we don't, you know, it's not about making an argument in response. It's not about um, coming up with a counterpoint or counter opinion. Sometimes it is just about being sure that other person knows they're heard. Yep. That's no, all, I that's think all that's I got. very good. Yep. All right, you and I probably have to leave it there. Um, so, uh, Adam, thank you so much. Next time, I'm expecting you to bring us an update on what's happening at the Supreme Court. So you pay attention to that so we don't all necessarily have to. And then uh, if we have any more religious uh, liberty issues related to states across the country and COVID-19, maybe we could catch up on that next time as well. Yep. Thanks for having these You're kind the of best. conversations. Yep. You're the best, man. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. All right, let's uh, let's remind ourselves of what we're doing each and every day, representing, representing Christ to the world, living as brochures of the kingdom of heaven. So what does it look like today for you to be a living demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of the world that he so loves? Um, let's consider that as we turn to a second hour of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.